Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. So I wonder if you have ever uh, had the opportunity to experience the weight of the world on your shoulders. How many of you have had that experience? Feel like everything is bearing down on you. Something I've become aware of seasonally um, is this weight that sort of like sort of manifests physically on me. I don't know if you've if you've had this where it's like, man, all the weight is on my shoulders and in my neck, and my neck gets stiff, and you get the headaches. Right? You guys have those. So it's not just like I feel stressed out. It's like I feel stressed out. Right? You've had that experience. And I see all the things, the hard part is it's like, it's not just the stress of doing your job, right? It's not just that I went to work and it was hard and it was stressful. And it's not just like, you know, parenting is hard, right? It's not just that. But it's like all these other things, right? You watch the news and you see there's this war around the world and all these innocent people are dealt with harshly. Or you look at all the political chaos that's taking place everywhere, regardless of which side of the aisle you find yourself on, it's chaos, right? Is it not madness, what's going on? And it just sort of like all of these things bubble up that it's like, I feel powerless to deal with any of these things. I see poverty, right? You see poverty all over the place. You see human trafficking all over the place, and most of us maybe don't see that firsthand, but you see in the news and people talking about it, and you see all this stuff, which just layers on this inability to deal with these things. I'm not sure how to deal with these things, but then it goes further than that, right? It's the weight of the relationships that we have that are strained, right? That person that we used to be friends and now doesn't feel like we're friends anymore, or we used to be married and now it feels like that's falling apart, or we used to have this close relationship and now we don't really even talk or we just exchange pleasantries, but we don't have the depth of a relationship that we used to have. There's the weight of being misunderstood. Maybe you have felt misunderstood. Somebody misunderstands what you said and you want to fix it. It's like, no, the reason you're upset with me is not actually the problem, but I can't fix it. It's the weight of being misunderstood. There's all these weights, and we haven't even gotten to the mess that is social media. And what I frequently become present to is the way that these things affect me physically, right? It's not just feeling sort of like I'm underwater. It's the fact that it messes with my physical health, right? You have your headaches. You have your elevated blood pressure, all these things that it's like, I don't know that I'm going to survive. Have you ever felt that? And what I know is true is that we live at a time in human history where anxiety is just climbing through the roof. We have whole generations that are marked by anxiety. Many of you are in those generations where, hey, I'm just like everybody else in my generation. We're all marked by anxiety. We're all stressed out. We're all burdened. We all have this, this anxiety. And experts are, are, keep saying over and over that, that we're in the middle and at the beginning and maybe in the middle of this uh, mental health crisis. 
Because we're carrying so much anxiety and so much stress and we're so overwhelmed. And what's also true is that this problem is within the church too. Like as I talk about this, many of you here are like, yeah, that's me. And just truth be told, it's me too. That we all experience this weight, this burden, this anxiety, and it highlights the struggle that we've based this series on. We began this series a couple of weeks ago called The Struggle is Real. And it highlights the the basis for this series, which is this. I'm going to read this to you. Jesus offers us life in all its fullness. But for so many of us, we don't actually experience this reality. How many of you come into this room feeling that way? And you don't have to show your hands, but... We come in and we feel this way. It's like, I know Jesus offers me life and life in all its fullness. I know that here, but in here I just feel weary. I feel burdened. I feel heavy. I feel burned out. And what I've told you is that experiencing the life of the kingdom Jesus offers actually comes as we engage the practices. I love this quote. I've read it uh, out each week, and I'm going to probably keep doing it just because I love it. It's out of the message Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What Jesus offers is a life Uh, a a way of dealing with the stress and anxiety that we feel and the practice that Jesus offers is prayer. He offers us prayer for anxiety. In anxiety, we're holding in our own power things that we don't have power to handle. That's what anxiety is. You're holding in your own power things that you don't have the power to handle. And what Jesus says is, if you'll pray... Let me offer you this practice of prayer that we give to the one who can handle these things, the one who has the power to handle these things. We give this to him. So I'm calling today's message praying for relief. Aren't we all praying for relief? Anybody not praying for relief? (laughs) That's a tricky way to put that question. Like, wait, is he saying, yes, we're all praying for relief, right? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at Scripture real quick. So would you pray with me? And so, Lord, I do... Just come alongside my brothers and my sisters here as as those of us who are weary and we're burdened, that we've carried so much of this weight, and Lord, today we need relief, and we need you to come. And so today as we talk about prayer and this practice, Jesus, that you've offered us, I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your life, your uh, eternal kind of life, that you would fill us with your life, Lord, and that you would take from us the anxieties, the worries, the burdens. Would you give us your grace, and would you put your words in my mouth? In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Nobody moves. Okay, great, great, great. Cool. Well, I have one, so we can all 
We can all operate together. The rest of you can watch it on the screen. Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. I aspire to it every week, and I fall short every week. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 5. Here's what Jesus says. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words." Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people... When they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So many of you, how many of you grew up knowing this prayer? Like week in, week out, some of you were bothered by the fact that I got to the end of verse 13 and you didn't finish, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, right? It bothered you. We could read it in the King James, it's in there. Um, but some of you know this prayer better as the Lord's Prayer. And if you grew up you pro- in church, you probably prayed this prayer every single week. My grandmother recently, who just recently passed away in the, in the summer, measured the effectiveness of any church by how often they recited the Lord's Prayer. I remember having a conversation after I gave my life to Jesus with my grandmother, and she was talking about the churches in town in Evansville, and she said, well, they sure don't say the Lord's Prayer over there. So apparently that means they're not a Christian church. I, I'm not sure. I didn't ask. You know, we just, yeah, sure, that's, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but there's some things that I want you to see out of this passage that Jesus offers us. And so I want to sort of take a look at a couple of, of um, guidelines that Jesus gives us for prayer, and then I want to look at, the, at what's considered the Lord's Prayer, okay? The first thing I want you to see is that prayer engagement is a relationship with God, that, that prayer engagement is in relationship with God. Look again at verse 5 and 6. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, Jesus isn't condemning public prayer here. Like if you pray in front of other people, somehow that's wrong. What he says in the key line there. To be, is, is right there where it says, to be seen by others. And the problem he's pointing out is people who pray for the sake of people seeing them pray. It's about getting that reward. That's why he says, when people see you, you have received your reward. If the goal of praying is just so people see you pray, if that's the goal, it's just that people see me as a holy person because I pray, 
Then when people see me as a holy person because I pray, I've received the reward. What Jesus is saying is the point of prayer is for relationship. The point of prayer is intimacy with the Father. That's the goal. And so that's, that's, the, that's the idea behind it. It's something that's supposed to happen regularly as well. If you look down a little bit further in verse 11, Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Now, can you imagine if you only prayed this once a week? You'd be hungry for about six days. Some of you are like, I don't see that. Okay. He says, give us today, which means if you pray that every day, you get your daily bread every day. See? See what I'm saying there? So evidently, Jesus intends prayer to happen at least daily. I heard it put this way once. Prayer is talking to God and listening to God about what we are doing together. You see, the idea is that you and God are on a mission together. That you are doing something in the world together. And that the reason that you would need to pray is that you would, of course, need to talk to God because we're doing this thing together. I don't know, uh, I mean, some of you will uh, judge me for this, and then, so you can come tell me how, how bad this is. I've been watching Hell's Kitchen lately. <laughs> Do you know the show? Right? If you don't like that one, you can t- there's another one called The Bear, I've heard. I haven't watched that yet. Right? But the idea behind the, these shows is this French Brigade cooking. Do you know about this? I never knew about this. Evan was like, oh, that's a real thing, French Brigade cooking. And so it's like all these people, if you, how many of you have seen the show? I don't want to explain it. If, okay, so you kind of know. Like everybody has a station. Everybody's like making one thing pretty much. And we, it all comes together uh, at what they call the pass. I don't have, I'm, we've, we've eliminated my kitchen experience already. So it arrives at the hot plate. That's what they keep calling it. I don't know if it's hot or not. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's all supposed to arrive together. Right? So all these people are cooking your meal, and it's supposed to arrive together. And the idea here is we can serve more people if everybody's cooking a thing. Like if I'm cooking the whole meal, it takes me a while um, for lots of reasons. But nonetheless, I cannot cook a meal for a whole, a whole dining room. But the idea here is if everybody's doing their part, then everybody will arrive at the uh, hot plate together, and the food goes out. And it's a great success. It's a super efficient thing if it's done well. But the greatest sin, you guys will know this, the greatest sin in French Brigade cooking is what? Who knows? Everybody's like, huh? Breakdown in communication, I heard. Right? That's, I didn't actually hear that. (laughs) At the end of the show, when they're about to eliminate a chef, what is always the problem is like, you shut down, you stopped communicating. He says it with other words. But... Right? Isn't this the, this is the sin. It's like you stop talking to the other people around. It's a breakdown in communication. Why? Because all of us are doing something together and routine, regular communication is essential if this is going to work. The fact of the matter is God is working with you in your life. And the mission of God is so widespread and is so uh, complex that constant communication is supposed to happen. And the greatest crime is a breakdown in communication. Jesus says what you need is regular communication because it's intimacy and relationship with your Father. You and God are doing something together, and prayer is talking to God and listening to God about what we're doing together. 
It's the means of our ongoing relationship. And because that's true, the second guideline Jesus offers us here on prayer is that prayer is best done simply. Prayer is best done simply. Look again at 7 and 8. It says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And so what Jesus is saying is here, if you have the intimacy of relationship that is supposed to happen with routine prayer, if you have this intimacy of relationship, what will happen is your prayers will be short and to the point. They'll be deliberate. When you pray, do you pray like that? Like, think about it. I'm not even going to ask you, like, no show of hands. Just think about your prayer life. When you pray to God, are your prayers short or are they really, really, really long? It's okay to have some long prayers, but you learn a lot about the relationship you have with God based on how you pray. Jerry and I have been married for just over 19 years. We just had our anniversary two months ago. I didn't do that for applause, but I'll tell her you guys clapped for her. She survived. Um, she's put up with me now for 19 years. Um, but there's something significant about our relationship, right? Like in 19 years, uh, the conversation has never really stopped. She, stopped talk she started talking at the very beginning, and it just keeps going, right? <laughs> she's not in here. You can tell her that later. But the conversation has never stopped, now, I want you to imagine for a minute, if you came to my house, and you were coming over for dinner, and you walked into my house, and miracle upon miracles, as I'm standing over the stove cooking, and I said, Dear Jerry, I have loved you for a long time, and I have tried to serve you faithfully for 19 years. And I have done everything to garner your affections. And so could you potentially see it in your heart to get a spoon so I can get dinner out of the pan? Unless I started laughing in the middle of it, you would go, something's wrong here, right? Am I right? You would go, this is the weirdest marriage I have ever seen. Because it would, you would be like, wait a minute, in 19 years, have you not garnered any sort of like affection? Has there not been any sort of nearness of relationship? Do you not have any intimacy in your relationship? It seems like you are two independent human beings in the same house. What kind of marriage is this where there's no familiarity? And we would all say it seems unacceptable to operate this way, but yet when we operate this way with God, it's perfectly acceptable. We don't pray for a long time, and then when we do pray, it's, Dear God, I have shown up to church 52 times this year. It's a perfect year. I need you to do something for me. Please, if you could see it in your heart, let me tell you what I've done for you. And this is our prayer to God. And somehow we're content with this. 
right? We're content with this like sort of once in a great while, and I got to say all the things that I can possibly say to hopefully like cover all the bases, right? Like wouldn't it be bad if I was praying for money and, and I just left out the in Jesus' name and I didn't get the money I needed. So we cover all of our bases, right? Some of you chuckle, but we pray like this a lot, don't we? We're not quite sure what God is like as we pray to him. And so we just throw out everything, right? We throw out all the things that we could possibly think. But it would be a different thing if you came to my house and I was cooking. Again, that's the joke. And I made a little inside joke that didn't really make sense to you, but you could tell we were sort of laughing. And she hands me a spoon. And then she says something that's silly. And you go, these guys have all these sort of like little banter, inside jokes, it's fun. And you'd be like, these guys really know each other. There's something going on here. This feels like a real relationship. Like that would seem normal to you. And what Jesus invites us into is that kind of relationship with our Father. When you live a shared life with God, where you're working together, your prayer life begins to reflect that. The conversation never really stops. You begin to have these sort of inside jokes with God. Some of you are like, is that a thing? It is. I, I, I assure you it's a thing. And he laughs every time I tell them. Some of you are like him. You laugh every time I tell the joke. So when you ask for something, when you go to your father, it's simple. It's not complex and got to cover all the things. It's simple. You're just continuing the conversation that you were already having. A part of the reason Jesus says, uh, gives for praying simply is that your father already knows what you need. Now, some of you are going to ask this question. Well, if he already knows, why do I have to say it? If he already knows what I need, why doesn't he just get it for me? Any of you parent that way? Any of you, like, raise your kids that way? It's like, I know what they need, so I'm just going to get them the socks. I'm going to get them the thing. And Have you ever tried to raise your kids that way? What happens? They take no responsibility. They never actually grow up right? The reason God doesn't just do it, the reason he asks you, desires for you to ask him for things is for the sake of relationship. He wants you to grow up, that you're partnering together, that you're actually working together. For whatever reason, God desires to do things through relationship with you. He could do it on his own. He has chosen to limit himself. And in my case, he limits himself greatly, he brings it all the way down to where I can participate. But when you ask, you are continuing this relationship with God. John Wesley, you guys know the name John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement? He said this. He said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Now, I think it's a little bit overstated because I think God does things even if I don't ask sometimes. But the fact remains that God's deep desire is to do things in relationship with you and with me. And so he desires to be asked. 
He desires that we come to Him, that we ask Him. What, I have, uh, what we've seen is that we pray to engage our relationship with God, which means that we can pray simply. But for most of us, myself included at times, we struggle to get started. Any of you struggle to get started praying? Like at some level, I feel, anybody who's ever stood up to teach on prayer, and maybe some of you will like disagree with me, I feel like any time I've ever stood up to teach on prayer, I feel very, very, very ill-equipped. You feel that way? Rich, <laughs> it's sort of like, uh, I can tell you what I have. I don't know, I'm still learning. All of us are still kind of learning. Richard Foster is, a, uh, is a, an author, a theologian, a pastor, who wrote a book on prayer. And the way he starts his book is, I don't think I can write this book. I don't think I know enough. We all feel that way. We all feel like we struggle to get started, but what I want to do with the rest of our time is offer you some steps. But I will say before I offer you these steps, I want you to help you get started. If you want to grow in your prayer capacity, there's a group of people that meets here on Wednesdays at four o'clock, okay? It's called the Intercessory Prayer Team. Mary, Dory, Suzanne when, uh, is, is part of that. Jerry comes as part of that. Rachel, there's a there's a group of you now. If you want to be in a room with people who have been pressing into this for a period of time, and you don't have to come and pray anything, but you can just be in the atmosphere, be in the room, and see what it's like to begin to have a conversational prayer life, I would highly encourage you to put yourself in that room, four o'clock here on Wednesdays, okay? If you're at all capable, you can come once in a while even, but it will be helpful for you to be with people who are doing this. But what I would like to offer you with the rest of our time is a way to get started in a practice that I learned before I gave my life to Jesus. Many of you know I came to know Jesus in campus ministry, which is why I love college students and why I love uh, what we do here with campus ministry. I came to know Jesus in campus ministry. And before I had given my life to Jesus, I was there. I was still uh, unruly, more unruly than I am now. Um, but the campus minister stood up and he taught this way to begin praying that has stuck with me ever since. It has grounded me in when I'm not sure how to pray, and it involves praying through the rest of this passage, okay? So I'm going to walk you through this, I, I, and this is a tool that you can use. So what it is, is it involves taking each of the stanzas from 9 through 13 of this and praying each of those stanzas. And each of those times... We turn our hearts to what it is that we're saying. This is a way to get started. So I'm going to show you these. The first one, verse 9, says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this is just getting present to who it is we're praying to. It's becoming aware of the fact that we have a Father who is high and lifted up, who is far above all the circumstances that we show up with, who is far above and has all power and all authority over all the things that trouble us, and yet he's our father. There's this sort of dichotomy happening. It's like this idea that, that he's big enough to have all this power, and yet he draws near to us and wants to help us. You see this. So we're getting present to the fact that we have a father who loves us, a good father. Some of you didn't have good fathers. This is a good father who desires to give you the things that you need, who wants to draw near to you, who loves you deeply, and yet is powerful enough to take care of anything that's troubling you. 
we draw near to this God. This is the God that we're praying to. Tim Keller, some of you will know that name. He was a pastor in New York, just died over the summer, I believe, beginning of the summer. Um, he, uh, he illustrated the seeming uh, marriage of opposites like this. He said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. When we pray this line, that's what we're doing. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are high and lifted up, and yet you love me deeply. That sets things in the right context, in the right perspective. We are beloved children of the King over all things, and though he has all power and is set apart from all things, yet he comes to us. And he wants to hear us. This is who we're praying to. If you begin your prayer time like that and you just spend a second thinking about what that means, it will change your prayer life. So we start there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we continue on. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we get present to the nearness of our Father, We don't start with all the things that we want. We say, your kingdom come. Now, if you've been here a little while, I've sort of unpacked what it means to say that. But the first part and the second part of this are a restating of the same things. Your kingdom come, your will be done. When the kingdom of God comes, God gets his way. That's what we're saying when we say that line. We're saying, your kingdom come, as it is in heaven, where you get your way all the time, would you make it that way here? Would you bring that here? Would you have your way here? This is the spot in our time of prayer where we get to say, Lord, the whole world seems like it's breaking apart and I don't know what to do with it. There's a war around the world. There's political chaos happening. Social media is up and it's just a mess. And I feel the burden of all of that. And I'm not sure what to do with it. And we say, your kingdom come. Lord, would you in this day, in these spaces, establish your rule and your reign? Lord, would you come? Have your way. That's what we need. We need you to come and have your way. When you don't know what to pray, you pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Make it your way. It's the place where we can lift up all the big things that we feel powerless to change. To our Father, who has the power to do all of that and wants to. And that takes us to verse 11. Give us our date today, our daily bread. When we've gotten present to the nearness of our Father and invited Him to establish our rule, His rule and His reign, And we say, Lord, would you give me everything I need today? This is the time where you get to say all that. Here's the things that I feel like I need today. Would you give me those things? Now, this is not a negotiation. Some of our prayer lives sound more like a negotiation. It's like like a hostage situation, right? Does your prayer life feel like a hostage situation? Where you feel like God has the thing I need and I need to convince him to give it to me, right? Does your prayer life feel that way? It's like, God, I've done all these things for you. I showed up to church on Sunday. It was really hard. The coffee was a little bit too watery. Wasn't enough to get me through, but I did it. I read my Bible today. 
I've read it twice in the last week. I've given once in a while. Give me what I need. Is that how our prayer life feels sometimes? We're trying to like convince God, like, hey, I know you say you want to give me these things, but I have to like, we have to create, make this even exchange, right? Sometimes that's how our prayer life feels. Or it feels a little bit like, uh, like this. It's like, okay, God, if you give me this job, I promise. Right? Have you done this? <laughs> People are like, yeah, this, is, this sounds a little bit closer. If you give me this job, I promise I'll take my Bible to work so that people can ask me about it, right? If you will give me this pay increase, God, I promise I'll give one more time at the church, right? This is how it is. It's like, and then when you feel like, I'm not sure that's enough, and I'll do this other, I'll actually try a small group. I don't like people, God. You know how much I don't like people. So this should, this should count for like double. And once I show up to the small group, it's these people I don't like. Is that how your prayer life feels? Like it's a negotiation. It's like I gotta, we got to make sure that the tables are even. God, I need this job that I can't get myself. And so I'm going to give you enough things until you go, okay, the trade is equal. Right? This is how our prayer life feels sometimes. And if this is how your prayer feels, you should revisit the first line because you have forgotten the Father that you're asking. Martin Luther, you guys know this name, Martin Luther, founder of uh, the, the Lutheran Church in the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. He said, this prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of his willingness. That when you know that you have a father who loves you, who has all authority and all power and yet desires to come to you, desires to give you good things, that when you pray, it's not like he's like, well, I don't know, the deal's not good enough. Like my trade with Evan for Jordan Love in my fantasy football. He keeps giving me more people. One of these days I'll give him. No, it doesn't work that way. It's laying hold of God's willingness. He wants us to have the things we need. So we ask our Father for what we need, and then in verse 12 it says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We ask for forgiveness for the things we need to be forgiven for, but this one has a condition to it, doesn't it? You see this? It says, Lord, would you forgive us in the way that we have forgiven other people. Jesus doesn't let us just say, would you forgive me, Lord? He says, forgive me the way I forgive others. Now, what this will do is it will make you, uh, over a period of time, very, 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 very uh, aware of how much forgiveness you need. Because if he only forgives you the way you forgive everyone else, all of a sudden we're like, whoa, I'm going to have to forgive some more people because <laughs> I have a lot I need to be forgiven for. I'm going to need to do a little, bit of, a little bit of work. And this line also is an invitation for us to extend more forgiveness. People who understand this prayer line understand that they are fountains of grace because they receive God's extravagant grace and they just give it away to others. 
that they're quick to forgive. And if you will press into this, it will shape you into the kind of person who is able to forgive at a moment's notice because you're more and more aware of how much you need to be forgiven. And what's really appropriate in this space and at this time is to name the things. Like explicitly. God already knows them. It's really helpful to say what they are. Not, God, would you just forgive me for the ways that I've gone sideways? Lord, would you forgive me? I again stumbled into that. Lord, would you forgive me? I again have, have just berated my children. Lord, would you forgive me? I've stolen time from people. Name it. He knows what it is anyway. It's the space for forgiveness. And then we get to verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, there's a stream now in the church that sort of pretends like we're not still in a battle. As if we are constantly triumph, like we're triumphing every day. Overly triumphalistic, right? Like we're just going to win every single time, every single day. And this is a corrective to that. Like, Lord, we know there's a battle. Would you protect us from that battle? But we know that the enemy is wreaking havoc. Would you protect us? Would you keep us from the places where we might stumble? We pray again against the evil that is in the world. We know that one day evil will be completely destroyed because Jesus has defeated death and evil. But we know that evil still runs rampant. And so we pray again against all the things that come against us. Now, the thing I love about this model, if you're practicing this, is it scales. <laughs> There's lots of things. First of all, you're like, that's it? That's all you love? It scales? If you have 15 seconds, you can pray this prayer. And you can just pray the lines and get present to it. If you have 15 minutes, you can give three minutes to each one. It scales. You can take time in each one of those spaces, and it will expand as far as you need. And it enables you to grow in your ability to pray. If you don't have a prayer life today, deciding when you go home from here, you're going to pray for 30 minutes a day, as admirable as it sounds, is a bad idea. You don't have it yet. But deciding I'm going to go away from here and I'm going to start praying five minutes a day, I'm going to give one minute to each of these things, it's a good start. We don't want to add more things to our calendar. We're going to say, what can I take away that I can have five minutes? That's the way we start. I want to make one more recommendation, and then I'm going to bring this to a close. If you begin to do this, A, if you do this regularly, it will revolutionize your life. I guarantee it. Like, do this every day till we get together next Sunday, and you will say, some things have actually changed in my spiritual life. But if you choose to press into this, I want to recommend a book that will help you navigate. It's this book by N.T. Wright, The Lord and His Prayer. It's a real short book. For those of you who hate reading, this is 85 pages. Okay? Choke it down. It's good. Um, it's not a choke it down book. It's so good. It takes each one of these stanzas 
and it explains the depth of it, like better than I did, which is not hard to do, but we did it. Take this book, read it, and then begin to pray this way because it will change the way that you relate to God and it will change the way that you relate to your anxious life. This gives us space. This practice gives us space to name all of those things that we carry around in our shoulders, that we carry around in our neck, that we carry around in our blood vessels as blood pressure. It gives us space to name all of these things and then hand them over to the one who has the power to deal with it. I'm convinced that the thing that we lack in the church is a robust prayer life. I'm convinced that if we actually had a robust prayer life, it would change the way that we operate in the world. I mean, in a really short period of time. If we committed to doing this for the next 30 days, what I will tell you is this community would be different in 30 days. What do you think? Can you see it? Shall we try it? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.